Welcome back to True Crime San Antonio. I am just another San Antonio native, and thank you for tuning in. If you're new to the show, we cover crime from San Antonio, Texas exclusively. We're back for another week and another cold case solved. I dove into a few of these stories once I came across them, because I don't know about you, but I hate unsolved cases. There's so many right now in desperate need to be closed. But today, we have the story of two teenage friends in Eric Anderson and Christian Maldonado, whose lives were taken by someone for no apparent reason. The case would take a few years to be solved, even creating an urban legend in the process, but would ultimately find its resolve, giving hope to the closure of other cases. But first, San Antonio true crimes this week. So typically, this is where I cover crimes that happened over the last week or two, sometimes a little older, if they had to resolve sometime this week. And believe me, there were plenty of crimes this week. A lot of stories about babies, little ones, and their neglected parents, and If y'all have heard any of my old stories, those are the ones that get me the most. And they deserve their day. So maybe I'll be able to cover some of them. But right now, I just couldn't. But I did come across a story that I think might change it up a little bit for us this week. That is heartbreaking. And at the same time, has blossomed into something very beautiful. It's the story of Aaron Castro. Her life was taken when she was 19 years old. But the story really started when she was 16. She started dating a man named Josh Garcia. Aaron's family started noticing changes in her pretty quickly. Domestic violence isn't just about physical. It could be mental as well. He would poke fun of her and make her feel insecure about herself. It was sad for them to see this beautiful teenage girl basically drowning in a world of insecurity and abuse. But they didn't really know what was going on. So even though things seemed a little off, I mean, she was a teenager, right? That was until the first attack happened. She was starting to get away from Garcia. And that's when she went driving around with him. And he had gotten upset. He parked the car and started beating on her. Aaron ended up in a hospital in a wheelchair after the attack. Garcia was convicted of aggravated assault and given two years probation for it. And Aaron cut contact between the two of them. But he made his way back into her life and she hid it from her family. By the time the rest of the family found out about it, the abuse was still happening. Her sister says that she was scared for her, but instead of getting mad at her or pushing her further into his arms as she thought that might happen, she hoped he would just go away, and she thought Aaron was strong enough to just leave, but it was scary. She wanted to go to school, it was what her mind was set on, but on September the 3rd, 2018, it happened again. Garcia wanted to talk to Aaron, 
and she was in his car again. That's when Garcia stabbed Aaron and ran her over with his car. He said he did it so she wouldn't call the police. It was her 19th birthday, by the way. It took almost three years, but Josh Garcia was finally tried and sentenced to 35 years in prison. His probation from the other assault was revoked, and he was sentenced to 20 years for that as well. Both sentences will run concurrently. And from that tragedy, Aaron's mother, Renee Castro, has worked tirelessly to raise awareness about domestic violence in teen dating. That pain will never go away. And she thinks about all the things that Aaron could have done, the future she'd have right now. Renee Castro goes to high schools and talks to teenagers about her daughter's story. Tells them about all the red flags they should be keeping aware of. She started her own nonprofit and scholarship it's called the Aaron Rios Castro Foundation Scholarship. And on what would have been Aaron's 21st birthday, Renee awarded her first $1,000 scholarship to a recipient she says wrote an impactful essay. That was in August of 2020. The third annual Aaron Rios Castro Foundation 5K will be at Woodlawn Park on this Saturday, February the 19th. It's amazing what this mother has done from all the heartache, how many lives she might have saved at this point, and how many lives she has changed. I wish her all the best, and I hope she continues to spread awareness about this. I didn't even know that February was considered Teen Dating Violence Awareness Month, but I'm glad she's doing what she can to make sure another mother ever has to go through this again. In Renee's words, you have a voice. Use it and love yourself and know that you're worth it. You're not alone. It's nothing to be ashamed of. Get help. If you're suffering from domestic violence or you're in an emotional abusive relationship, please reach out. There are numbers out there. There's people who can help. Even if you feel like there's nobody in the world, there are 24 seven hotlines That'll take your call right now. Please make that call. All right. I think we're good. Here we go. Episode 20. Warning, this story depicts accounts of violence and adult themes that may be found disturbing and unsuitable for some. Listener discretion is advised.
If you grew up in San Antonio in the late 90s, you might have been privy to the urban legend of Devil's Den. It was said people supposedly went missing there at night. That it was a place where cultists would meet and probably stem from the satanic panic that swept the nation through the 1980s and worldwide by the 90s. It's there in the Devil's Den where our story takes place. It was Tuesday afternoon, November the 12th, 1996, at about 4.30 p.m., when two boys from the Piper's Meadow subdivision stepped off their school bus, met an acquaintance at the curb, and walked into Devil's Den. They never returned. More than two weeks after the disappearance of 15-year-old Eric J. Anderson and 17-year-old Christian Maldonado, their parents and friends were still searching and wondering what could have happened. Neither boy had previously run away. Eric had money in his bedroom that was not taken and money in a bank account that was not withdrawn. Christian had no money. Eric, a sophomore at Holmes High School, was doing well and enjoyed school. His best friend Christian, a senior, was expected to graduate in the spring. Christian had a girlfriend who hadn't heard from him since his disappearance. The boys were homebodies who were known to shy away from party invitations and stay in their neighborhood. Their only regular destination outside the neighborhood was Rocky J's, a video hall a quarter mile away in the 8,000 block of Culebra Road. They were last seen together at the intersection of Piper's Lane and Piper's Hill in the company of a third person whose identity had not been determined early on. Eric's mother, TJ Anderson, told the San Antonio Express News that the third person was shorter than the two teens. He was wearing a blue shirt and had dark hair. She was hoping that identifying the third boy would be critical to discovering what happened. San Antonio police were investigating the disappearance as a missing persons case because without evidence they couldn't consider the boys victims of foul play and were uncertain whether or not they were runaways. The boys were seen walking toward an area of the Leon Creek watershed known locally as Devil's Den. The area had become known to be a hangout for teenagers and apparently gangs. Piper's Meadow residents are surrounded to the north and east by a three square mile crescent of wooded lowlands from the creek and a tributary. The area includes cliffs dotted with caves and heavy underbrush. At the time it had a lot of crisscross trails where you could get lost easily. Police said there were signs of fires when they were searching the area, which wasn't an oddity. Students on the bus overheard the boys seen with the pair at the curb tell Eric and Christian that he wanted to show them something. Eric and Christian had arranged to meet a friend of theirs at Eric's house a few minutes later and were heard to say they had time for a detour before making it back to Eric's house. Evan Prito was that friend. He arrived at Eric's house at the 300 block of Piper's Field at 4.40 p.m. that day. When he found Eric and Christian weren't there, he left and returned about 15 minutes later. They still had not come, so he went home. He only lived about a mile away. Police said it was unusual that they would have gone off without him. When Eric got off the bus, he was wearing a black backpack filled with books. Normally, he would have gone straight home, unloaded his backpack, and grabbed his pager before leaving the house. Without the pager in his possession, the mother had no point of contact. There were about 10 calls on Eric's pager that first night, mostly from friends. The second day he was missing, a girl called. His mom said he had given the girl his pager number to arrange a date, 
She was paging him to see if he was home. Eric was last seen wearing blue jeans with a chrome steel chain on a belt loop attached to his wallet. He wore a gray and white striped short sleeve t-shirt, a black adidas baseball cap, and a mushroom necklace. He was 5 foot 10 and 145 pounds. Christian was wearing a light colored t-shirt, a Notre Dame baseball cap with a yellow brim and black Nike tennis shoes. He was 5'11 and 170 pounds. Luis Maldonado, Christian's father, said the parents and friends of the boys searched the watershed for the first two days. Luis didn't believe they were there, but admitted it's a pretty big and rough terrain. We would probably need a lot of people to really thoroughly search it. The Heidi Search Center, which is an organization made after the disappearance of Heidi Seaman in 1990 and has helped thousands of families in its 30 plus years of existence since, also helped circulate flyers throughout the city for Eric and Christian. There are numerous reports of sightings as a result of the flyer, but no one that actually knows them had reported the sightings. 19 days after their disappearance, on Sunday, December the 1st, 1996, the bodies of 15 and 17-year-old Eric and Christian were discovered in a creek bed near the subdivision where the boys lived. The Bear County Medical Examiner's Office said the IDs of the missing teens were found on the badly decomposed bodies, but that positive identification would have to be made through dental records. Family members identified personal items found with the bodies as belonging to the missing boys. Police Sergeant Jose Banales was quoted as saying, I think that what we have here is two murders. Eric's mom TJ was seen crying on the shoulder of a friend while standing in the street several hundred yards from where the bodies were discovered. Members of the Heidi Search Center found the bodies at about 4.30 p.m. that day in some brush in a white creek bed in an open area inside Devil's Den. The center had organized a search with dogs. Bob Walcott, the executive director of the Heidi Search Center, said that the center had been working with the missing boys' families from the onset and decided to search Sunday because two tracking dogs became available. Neighbors had searched the area before, but I'm not sure if they were in that same area as they hadn't come across the bodies before then. They were found about 150 feet from their homes. Sergeant Banalas said that one of the bodies looked as if it had been struck in the head and that a rock found nearby was stained with what appeared to be blood. Police were still trying to identify the third person who was seen with the boys that day. By late that Sunday afternoon, a small crowd had gathered near the crime scene and a nearby lamppost bore weathered Heidi Search Center fire with pictures and descriptions of the boys and a plea for information about their whereabouts. A resident of the subdivision was interviewed as he stared through his chain link fence at the back of his yard and through the brush beyond. John could see the flashlights of investigators working over the bodies about a hundred yards away. I knew it was eventually going to happen, he said, with his five and three-year-old daughters by his side. John said neighbor kids used the abandoned area as a place to ride bicycles and motorcycles. He also has seen stolen vehicles recovered from the area, as well as graffiti and bandanas, and other evidence that youth gangs hang out there. He kept his back gate with a padlock and said his kids never go back there. Other neighbors were interviewed like Diana, 
who said she remembers when her two children used to play with other neighborhood kids in the open and inviting field in the Piper's Meadow subdivision. But that was 10 years earlier. Now, she'll never think of that field the same way again. Residents of the neighborhood gathered in the cold Sunday evening, waiting to hear, to see if the police would say it wasn't the boys who they described as good-hearted and sweet. We've lived out here for 18 years and nothing like this has ever happened, Diana said. We are shaken. This is too close to home. Like several other parents, she recalled how children like to play in the open area known today as Devil's Den. At the time in 1996, there was still a swing on a big tree and bike trails crisscrossed the field. But unfortunately, parents said the area turned into a dumping ground where curious kids can get into trouble. Others said they found evidence of drug use and gang activity there. They need to fence the area up, Diana said. It's not as safe as it used to be. Another resident, Irma, said she would keep a closer eye on her children in the light of the discovery of the bodies. It's scary to me because I have three kids, she said. I go to work in the morning and they ride the bus in the morning and you never know what can happen. Residents also described their community as quiet and didn't want one incident to taint it. We've never let anything scare us, said another resident who walks her two dogs in the field. This place is very well patrolled by police officers. I feel safe and I'm still going to walk my dogs back there. Another resident, Janie, has five grandchildren who live in the neighborhood. I'm always out there waiting until they catch the bus, she said. Ever since Heidi Seaman, I've become more aware. Eric was a real sweet kid, she said. He was always on his skateboard. This is the last person you think this could happen to. He wasn't a rough kid. He was just a gentle little boy, always smiling. As police were gathering as much evidence from the scene as they could, Sergeant Banales said that police had not yet identified a motive or suspects in the case. Holmes High School Principal Gary Haas said he notified counselors late that Sunday to be prepared to help grieving students that week. The key benefit of having counselors ready to visit with students is mostly to be just a listening ear, he said. He wasn't aware of any widespread talk amongst students over the previous three weeks about the boys' disappearances. But if the boys are dead, he said, some of them will need help. Without any information as to why the boys were murdered, Haas said it would be premature to raise concerns about student safety. If this was a murder, then I think that yes, we are very concerned, he said, but I think there's always a concern throughout our community whenever two students are missing. Principal Haas knew both Eric and Christian, particularly Eric, the younger of the two, but couldn't recall them ever being in trouble. They were just boys, he said. I know they were active on campus, but you'd always seen them around doing a lot of things. The day after the bodies of Eric and Christian were discovered in Devil's Den, family and friends still wondered what lured the teenagers down a rugged trail several weeks earlier. The parents of Eric Anderson and Christian Maldonado were looking for closure to what one parent described as three weeks of hell. Though police suspected the teenagers had run away from home, their family said they didn't have enough money to get far or any extra clothes. This is just not what our kids would do, Luis Maldonado said. The police told me that unless I could prove there was foul play, there was nothing to investigate. What the hell? The Maldonado family, along with the Andersons, filed a missing persons report with the San Antonio Police Department 
and then rarely heard back from the detectives. The detectives would call the family to find out if there were any new developments, Louis said. They did not deserve to be out there for three weeks. I really feel someone at school did something to them. They were ambushed. That person took them to that remote area and ambushed them. But police said they followed all proper procedures and did what they could to find the teenagers. Nothing would have changed the result of this case, said Lieutenant Daniel Ackroyd, the department's youth bureau commander. The manpower on the street is what we count on. In this situation, we didn't come up with additional information. The Missing Persons Division of the department received almost 6,000 missing persons reports in 1996. About 500 reports were filed every month. And of the hundreds of reports received, about 95% of the missing persons were found. It is difficult to prioritize which cases to take seriously. There was nothing to lead police to believe the teenagers had been murdered, Lieutenant Ackroyd said. Police received reports for several weeks that the two young men had been spotted in the city. It was difficult to investigate the case without substantial leads, he said. The executive director of the Heidi Search Center, Bob Walcott, Nancy Estes, and Jeff Kelso found the boys with the help of two tracking dogs, VIP and Smokey. VIP was pulling me over there, Nancy said. I saw one of the boys' heads first. It was the first thing I saw. It's like you don't believe it at first. Her dog has helped find several missing persons. Just five months earlier, in July of 96, VIP found the body of 17-year-old Christina Betcher, who was reported missing by her mom that summer. It's very hard on us, Nancy said. It's kind of hard to understand something so brutal could happen. It's bittersweet. For the Anderson family, receiving notice of the discovery was a reality they had feared. They had hoped to find Eric sitting in the back of a police car at the creek bed. It was so vicious what they did to him, Eric's mom TJ said. She said Devil's Den, or the trail, as Eric called it, was used as a shortcut to a nearby subdivision. She said police found her son, who was believed to be hit in the head with a rock, still wearing a school backpack near the body of his best friend, Christian. Though police did not have a motive for the killings, TJ said theft was not committed. Her son's jewelry and money belonging to both teens was found at the site. Christian was killed five days before his 17th birthday, but was continuously referred to 17 because he wasn't found until December. We won't be able to see his beautiful smile anymore, Louise said. A few days after the discovery, an article was written in the San Antonio Express News titled, Where's the Outrage Over Deaths of Boys? It described the boys' disappearance and discovery, how the city was left with a number of questions. Whereas the community mobilized to find Heidi Seaman, for example, most people didn't even know that Eric and Christian were missing until a few days before their bodies were found. It reiterated the 500 missing person cases a month, while they didn't suspect foul play. Mostly questions that couldn't be answered during an active investigation, but it did ask a great question. Have we become so surrounded by violence and so immune to its effect that the death of these two boys does not spark either anger or grief, or both? Most of us will briefly wring our hands over this tragedy, then tomorrow, move on to shake our heads over that day's violence and heartache. Is this the best we can do? 
as police, as neighbors, as classmates, as parents, as journalists? Why isn't there more outrage about this case and others all too similar? Why aren't there vows to find a killer or killers? How about a promise to clean out the devil's den? Why is it okay in the city for two teenage boys to disappear for weeks and for that alone to raise little alarm? Families of these young men and other murder victims must know that the community suffers with them. They should know too that the community will do something about it. Things have changed since 1996. Friends and families of Eric and Christian remembered them and took comfort from each other in separate memorial services on December the 6th, 1996. More than 300 people attended a service Friday at Valley High First Baptist Church to remember 15-year-old Eric J. Anderson. Services for Christian were held Thursday at Prince of Peace Catholic Church with interment at San Fernando Cemetery. Luis Maldonado, Christian's father, said the services provided the family with a sense of closure. Like the father said, I hope my son didn't die in vain. Maybe some people who were at the service will lead a more Christian way of life because of this. I feel more at peace right now. The turnout for Eric's service was welcomed by Joseph Anderson, Eric's father, who along with his wife TJ hugged and greeted a long line of friends and acquaintances. Thank God for the people of San Antonio, all our neighbors and all our friends and family, he said. We would have never made it without you people. Eric touched a lot of people. He surely did. Pastor Curtis Halford, formerly of Valley High Baptist, urged the crowd to turn to God and worship instead of worrying over unanswered questions they might have. Some of you may be asking why, why, why? I have yet to find an answer to why. It's not a legitimate question, the pastor said. The question should be how. How do we get through it? While parents and loved ones paid their last respects, police reported that day that there were no new leads in the case. According to a spokesperson, investigators were continuing to look for the third youth who reportedly accompanied Eric and Christian on that afternoon they disappeared. At that point, police had no reason to believe the teenagers were involved in gangs or any other type of criminal behavior. To say the case is gang-related, it really doesn't look that way, he said. To say it's something else criminal, we don't have any information to that effect either. Eric and Christian's friend, Evan, the kid who was supposed to meet up with them to go skateboarding that day, said he will badly miss their companionship. Everything we did, we did with each other, he said. The Andersons buried their son Eric in Louisiana, near family, so that he wouldn't be alone in a graveyard. As the weeks passed by and no sign of solving the case, residents became concerned for the future of their neighborhood. District 6 Councilman Bobby Herrera talked about forming a neighborhood association in the Piper's Meadow subdivision near where the teenagers from Holmes High School were found. He too lived in the neighborhood back then. Councilman Herrera had suggested back in 96 that the city could buy the privately owned vacant property, which is in the floodplain and make it into a park with jogging trails. He had received numerous phone calls from residents concerned about the property, known as Devil's Den. The councilman said he was working with the city of San Antonio's co-compliance department to clean and clear the area. The area is a big concern, not only because of what happened, he said, 
We all live in the same neighborhood. We need to take care of each other. For years, residents of the subdivision have been patrolling the area as part of Celero on Patrol, or COP, an anti-crime effort that recruits residents to patrol their neighborhood and use their cell phones to alert police to suspicious activity. The councilman said the parents of Christian Maldonado support the effort to organize a community. They were 110% behind me, he said. They want to prevent this from happening again. They said they would be happy to help out. Herrera said there was an empty shack on the vacant property that gangs used for initiation. A lot of residents wanted something done, but never intervened due to fear of gang retaliation. He said that by clearing the vacant lot, residents could watch the area better and become less attractive for criminal activity. I want to give the area back to the people, he said. Eric Anderson was like a son to me. He was friends with my son. He was part of the family. A month later, at the end of January 1997, with City Councilman Herrera and members of both families, Luis Maldonado told the media a reward of $4,000 was being offered to find whoever did this to our sons, he said. All we want to see is if somebody will come forward with information that will help catch those responsible before they do it to someone else. A police spokesman said police still had nothing new to report on the case except for investigators were continuing to actively pursue every lead in the case. Crime Stoppers, at the time in 1997, typically only offered about $1,000 for information that led to the arrest and indictments in a felony case. It was a sign that there were many people who wanted justice for the boys. A couple weeks later, business and community leaders invited the public to help clear the overgrown area known as Devil's Den, even offering breakfast tacos on the day of. We are trying to do away with the name Devil's Den all the way around, Councilman Herrera said. Once we go down there and clean up, no one remember this is Devil's Den anymore. On Saturday, February the 8th, dozens of volunteers came through to help. Joseph Anderson knew he could not remove the events that led to the brutal killing of his son and high school friend. Cleaning this place up isn't going to get rid of the memories. Cleaning this place up isn't going to get rid of the pain, he said. I'm glad it's being done, but it's not going to change my life. Hundreds of residents and volunteers came throughout the day to clear a stretch of brush 50 yards wide by 120 yards long. Assisted by 75 probationers serving community service sentences, they sifted through the heavy brush and trash in an effort to clean up the devil's den and deter neighborhood children from walking down its trails. Volunteers used machetes and chainsaws to cut out heavy brush and branches. Front end loaders were also used to pick up the brush. This is great that it is being done, but will it stay this way? Joseph asked. How long will people keep this place up? A strip of crime scene tape still blocked the pathway that led to the area where Eric and Christian were found. Local residents cleared the area, and Christian's mother, Gina, made makeshift crosses for her son and best friend. Several Holmes High School students walked up a trail lined with stones that morning to what some called the grave sites and still wondered what happened to Eric and Christian. A wooded cross for Eric read, God bless you. Close by, a baby blue cross with blue flowers and a dove pinned to the middle of the cross read, We love you, Christian. 
It was the first time that Christian's 14-year-old girlfriend Valerie had visited the site. I was scared to come down here, she said, as she began to cry. I didn't know what I would see. I miss him. Many of the residents wanted a park to be built at Devil's Den and wanted it to be named after Eric and Christian. Several neighborhood children expressed fear as they helped carry bags with trash. Why would anybody want to do this? The Maldonado family said Devil's Den may hold the answer to what happened to their son, but it will not bring him back. I don't know if it's going to bring closure, Luis said. Two years would pass by. Every once in a while, there might be a mention of the boys. Names in the papers and Crime Stoppers put out another reward for information, but all seemed lost in solving the case. At least it seemed that way to the public. That was until a tip led to the arrest of a suspect on Tuesday, May the 11th, 1999. One of the most notorious unsolved slayings in the city's history was reopened in February of 99 when a witness told police about a murder unsolved, even specifying critical information about a 38 caliber revolver believed to have been used to kill Eric and Christian. That led police to recover spent bullets from a ranch in Medina County. Ballistic tests suggested the bullets matched those found in the boys' bodies. 20-year-old Roger Yanez Martinez was indicted shortly before his arrest on Tuesday night at his home in Cedar Creek in Bastrop County and charged with capital murder. The arresting officer was Detective Ernest Davidas from our last episode. He was taken to Bastrop County Jail, read his rights, and even signed the warning card advising him of his rights. While at the Bastrop Jail, Detective Tavitas and Martinez worked on a statement until midnight. While Tavitas sat at the computer, Martinez looked over his shoulder. When the two-page statement was completed, Tavitas printed a copy for Martinez to read and signed. Martinez was eventually transferred to the Bear County Jail and remained there after failing to post a $1 million bond. Martinez was a former neighbor of the Andersons in the Piper's Meadows subdivision. Although $35 was recovered from the backpack of one of the boys, investigators still believed robbery was the motive for the killings. Police believed the two boys were probably killed within minutes of entering the area. At the time, a spokesperson said more arrests in the case were possible. Possibly the parents or someone else who knew of this crime and did nothing about it, which is a crime in itself. News of the arrest brought relief and sparked more questions for Joseph and T.J. Anderson. Two days after her son failed to come home from school, T.J. said she questioned Martinez, who was in his driveway playing basketball four houses away from her family's home. He said he didn't know anything about it, she said. He kept right on shooting hoops. That's what shocks me. It's frightening. Frightening what children will do. She never spoke to Martinez again. Joseph said Martinez had only lived on the street for about three months, then moved away about a month after the murders. No one knew him, really, and I think that's why he slipped through the cracks, he said. They still had many questions, like how the teenagers came to know Martinez, who did not attend their school, 
but police said a mutual acquaintance had introduced Martinez to the boys shortly before they vanished. Fifteen months would pass as the legal system slowly churned. Roger Martinez, now 21 years old, was to start his trial in August of 2000 after his defense attorneys failed to suppress his written confession given to Detective Tavitas. Prosecutor Bill Pennington said the state was prepared to seek the death penalty had the evidence on the capital murder charge gone to a jury, but Martinez decided to take a plea for reduced charges from capital murder to murder. Roger Martinez was given two life sentences that were run concurrently. The discovery of the bullet-riddled bodies was not something that was reported early on, probably because the detectives wanted to keep some information confidential. The case was reopened when a man arrested for a minor offense told police he knew someone who knew the killer. It was a case of one arrest will get you two, District Attorney Pennington said. I guess it's a good thing Martinez was ignorant enough to sign away his rights, but it still feels like such a loss. He's now 43 years old. He was just shy of 18 when he took those two young men's lives. And for what? I'm not sure I buy the robbery motive. I mean, Eric still had his jewelry and money in his backpack. Maybe it was, and he got scared and ran away just not buying it. It's almost like he just wanted to see what it would feel like to take a life. Now having spent half his life in prison, I wonder if he's found remorse or changed for the better in any way. Let's hope so. As far as Devil's Den goes, it's still there. The legend died down after a few years but you can still go online and see people talk about it like it's some kind of true urban legend like the train tracks or La Roña. The area known as Devil's Den was purchased under a formal partnership between the nonprofit group South Texas Off-Road Mountain Bikers or Storm, the city of San Antonio and outdoor retailer REI. It does look better with trail markers, toilets and running water at trailheads but you can still find graffiti and trash around certain areas. I'm not sure if they knew the history of that place, considering the president of Storm decided to name the trails after Dante's Nine Levels of Hell, with trail names like Deception Trail, Treachery Trail, and Carnage Trail. I don't think they were intentionally trying to be disrespectful, but nonetheless, there's still more to develop, so maybe someone can give them a heads up and find a way to honor these kids who love that trail. As we do on True Crime San Antonio, we remember Eric and Christian. Eric J. Anderson was born April 21st, 1981 to Joseph and T.J. Anderson. Photographs of the smiling teenager who loves skateboarding still decorate their walls. T.J. hopes friends will remember Eric for his kindness. He was a friend you could count on, she said. Christian L. Maldonado 
was born November the 17th, 1979 to Gina and Luis Maldonado. They moved to San Antonio from Puerto Rico five years before Christian was taken, but they will always remember their son for his love of skateboarding and his kindness. Christian was looking forward to turning 17 and excited to graduate from high school. Friends at their school said they will remember the two for their great sense of humor and thoughtfulness. Their friend Belinda, who often ate lunch with the pair, was hoping that they had gone off to do something stupid instead of what happened. If you ever need anything, Eric would help you out, she said. They were really nice guys. Their friend Evan said Eric was always thinking he was so smart. And Christian, he was just always laughing. Skateboarding and having fun. That's how he'll always remember them. And that's our story. I hope you take some time today to appreciate what you have. We never do until it's gone. If you're a fan of the show, show your love with a five-star rating on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to help us grow. Let me know your thoughts on Instagram at True Crime San Antonio. We'd love to hear from you. Truly. This has been True Crime San Antonio, and I am just another San Antonio native, hoping to see us through. Take care.